Hello students, this is Mrs. Elmer and this is your class podcast for the Mission of Jesus Christ course for Monday, May 18th, 2020. It is your second to last week of classes and I'm so glad to be spending this class time with you. Let's begin our time together with a prayer today. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. This prayer is called the Sushipe and it's prayed by St. Ignatius of Loyola. Teach us, good Lord, to serve you as you deserve, to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, to labor and not to ask for any other reward, save that of knowing that we do your will. At this time, we pause for any intentions that you are offering today. We pray for the safety and well-being of you and your families, for your strength and perseverance and your fortitude as you finish out your sophomore year of high school in strange circumstances. We pray for anyone who is a first responder, all doctors, medical professionals, um, and anyone whose employment or um, conditions in life have been affected by the impact of COVID-19. I pray that you all have a joyful day today, and we take all of these prayers and offer them in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So our podcast for today is talking about martyrdom and how it occurs in the early church um, and how we see Ignatius of Antioch exemplifying the Imitatio Christi as he prepares for his martyrdom in his letter to the Romans. So at this point, make sure that you have your Google Slides open. You can take notes um, as you hear me speak in the podcast. Please note that most of the notes that you're going to need for your reading check tomorrow are in this podcast. They are not uh, in the slideshow itself, so make sure you keep listening. Um, And you can use these notes on your quiz tomorrow. So let's move on together. Okay, so the first question that we're going to answer right now is what is martyrdom in the Christian tradition? So the word martyr, and note it's a funny spelling, it's M-A-R-T-Y-R. The word martyr comes from the Greek word that means witness, right? And in the Catholic tradition, a martyr in faith is someone who witnesses their love for and their devotion to Christ, even up to the point of death. Um, Martyrs witness to their love for Christ, their belief in him, and they are killed specifically for this belief in, in him. <clears throat> excuse me, um, killed for uh, refusing to give up their faith in Christ or to say that they no longer believe in him or in some other fashion commit what we call apostasy, which is denying, denying or abandoning of faith under pressure. A really important note here, Martyrdom in the Christian tradition is always something that is accepted and done out of love. Um, Not everyone is called to be a martyr. All of us are called to imitate Christ, like the reading on Friday said, right? To see his sufferings in our own sufferings, to die and rise with him in baptism, to to share in the hope of the resurrection. But those who 
die for their faith in Christ explicitly. They're killed for their faith in Christ, right? Um, are honored because they love the Lord so much that they are even willing to suffer for him in this way. A couple really important notes here. Christian martyrdom is, a, is when it occurs, an acceptance of death when your only other option is to betray Christ. Okay, so if you're presented with the option, continue to live, but no longer live as a Christian, or to be true to who you are and to maybe die for it, Christian martyrdom comes about as a result of the second choice. Um, how can we understand this? If you think back to the Gospel of John, which you studied just a few weeks ago, um, Jesus says uh, in John chapter 14, um, as he's giving his last discourse to the apostles, he says, No one has greater love than this, than, lay, than to lay down his life for his friend. This gets quoted a lot um, when we're talking about people who commit acts of heroism, who save the lives of others and maybe pass away in doing so. We can think of um, soldiers who go into enemy fire to protect an injured soldier. Maybe they lose their life and in doing so save another, right? When we're speaking about martyrdom, we're not speaking about a reckless desire for death. We're not speaking about someone who needs um, very carefully, I want to make sure you understand this. We're not speaking about someone who needs help for mental health conditions, right? Martyrdom is an understanding that this life is finite and eternal life is what comes next. And that is where we are united with God and with all those who love God. And it's when someone, when push comes to shove, says, I would rather die and be honest about who I am, right, if that's what's going to be done to me, than to live and to have to live a lie. St. Polycarp, who's one of the apostolic fathers um, who lives in the same generation as St. Ignatius of Antioch and St. Clement of Rome, said it this way. When he was arrested um, by Roman authorities, he was told that he could offer sacrifice to the emperor, right, proclaim that the emperor is God, and no problem, he could walk away. He refuses. He says he only has one God, and that that is Jesus Christ. And he says this. He says, For 86 years I have served Christ, and he has never done any harm to me. How then could I betray my king who saved and who loved me? Right. So martyrdom is, when it occurs, is accepted out of love for the one who has made us. The reason that we bring up martyrdom is because as we are continuing our study of the history of the early church, the reality that because you believe in Christ, because you proclaim him as God, because this has been the central part of your identity as a human person, right? The reality is that Christians in the first three centuries of um, Christianity could be persecuted and killed if they professed faith in Christ. 
This is especially prevalent between the years 100 and 313 AD, or in the Common Era, um, in the Roman Empire. Because in different spurts throughout these years, um, Christianity is illegal at various points um, for a variety of reasons that we can't go into right now, but it's seen as unpatriotic to not worship the emperor as God, to offer sacrifice to him in many different instances. So Christians are under threat of persecution or very direct persecution or with this kind of hanging in the background that if someone finds out they're Christian, they could be persecuted, arrested, or even um, martyred. Um, until the Emperor Constantine issues what's called the Edict of Milan in the year 313. Now the Edict of Milan is a real game changer because the Edict of Milan legalizes Christianity in the Roman Empire. And in fact, since Constantine is himself preparing for baptism uh, throughout his life, the Edict of Milan actually uh, makes Christianity have a kind of preeminent place in the Roman Empire. Um, so I want to say that, right? This is kind of our historical background. Martyrdom is most prevalent in the early church between, between the years 100 and 313 AD, although many of the apostles died um, before that and are killed uh, and martyred before that. Um, so that's kind of our historical background. Those who embrace the gospel do so not just because it's convenient or not because they like the teachings of Jesus. They do so because they profoundly believe what Jesus teaches. They believe the church is carrying this mission on and they are willing to stake their lives on it. I can't stress how big a deal this is. Um, so that's the reality in the early church. And you may have heard some of this already in, say, a Western Civ class. But one thing that I want to bring up, um, this was commented by Pope St. John Paul II um, in the late 1990s. He mentioned when he was Pope that we often talk about the history of martyrdom in the early church. We see the witness of many saints and heroes um, who show us a life of love that is a love that is even willing to suffer on behalf of the one you love. Um, but St. John Paul II points out to us that in fact, the 20th and 21st century, in the 20th and 21st century, so the 1900s and, sorry, the, yes, the 1900s and the into the 21st century, more people have died for their faith in Christ than in all previous centuries of Christianity combined. So think through that. So when Christianity was illegal, plus any other conflicts that go on up until the 1900s, more Christians died because of their faith in Christ in the 1900s into the 2000s um, than at any other time in history, right? This comes in a number of waves. Um, we can think first um, of the reality of the Armenian genocide, right? The Ottoman Empire killing many Armenian Christians. We know um, very sadly of the reality of the Holocaust in World War II. Um, and while our Jewish brothers and sisters were the um, obviously worst targeted in the Holocaust, many, 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 many Christians were killed um, by... Um, yeah, were killed in that as well. Um, and then third, and the reality of um, life in Soviet Russia, um, Stalin uh, in 
wow, I am really gargling my speech here. It sucks. I got really garbly at the end of that last clip, but I'm gonna keep it for the sake of what came uh, earlier in the clip. What I was saying at the end there um, is that the reality was that throughout the history of the Soviet Union, um, there were periods of really brutal persecution of Christians, mostly Orthodox Christians, um, but also um, Catholic Christians and other Christians within what was the Soviet Union then. Um, at least uh, over 100,000 Russian clergymen, so mostly Greek Orthodox priests, were executed um, by Stalin and his successors. Um, and the range of Christians who were killed um, has been cited between 12 um, and 20 million um, in some, in some uh, sources. So that's all to say, we're focusing on the reality of the love of the martyrs of the early church for Christ, right? For who Christ is, God himself, come to the world for our sake. Um, but I never want to forget that the biggest reality of martyrdom has been in close to our own time. Um, and many Christians are still persecuted around the world today. But you might think, okay, if it's this inconvenient to be a Christian, if it's this scary, if my life is on the line, why don't I just hide it totally? Or wouldn't that be enough to intimidate everyone so that no one becomes a Christian anymore? The apologist uh, named Tertullian addresses this uh, in a letter that he writes around the year 197 AD. So this is about a century after St. Ignatius of Antioch, but it's still very relevant. He says this at one point in his letter. He says, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So you would think in any sort of like normal logic that if you threaten a group of people enough and threaten to kill them because of their belief, that eventually that they would give up for the sake of the preservation of their life. Right. But instead, in the centuries after the martyrdom of um, mostly early Roman martyrs, but other uh, in other regions throughout the Roman Empire as well. Right. In the in the decades and centuries after this, rather than these waves of persecution serving to intimidate Christians into going into hiding or to intimidate people to stop being Christian, we see that the church quickly grows and quickly spreads even under the threat of persecution, and maybe even because of the threat of persecution. The apostles and the apologists and the apostolic fathers and all those who follow them give witness to a love of Christ, right, that is worth everything. On that next slide, on slide six, I have for you two pictures. One picture is a traditional uh, picture that's often used in things like history textbooks talking about martyrdom in the early church. You have a scene of um, martyrs here that are uh, in the Roman Colosseum um, awaiting probably the release of um, some wild beasts to come and torment them. 
Um, so this is a traditional image. But on the right side, you actually have a, a much more modern vision of what it looks like to be a martyr. Um, on the right side of this slide, this is a picture of the 21 Coptic martyrs, um, Coptic Christians from Egypt, um, who were killed by ISIS back in the year 2015. Um, they are considered martyrs, um, and I just bring this out to show you that there are places in the world where this is still happening, um, and where people love the Lord enough to say, I'm here, Lord, and I love you, and I can't imagine giving you up. Um, so with that, we're going to go on to talk more specifically about St. Ignatius of Antioch and his letter to the Romans. If you'll go to slide seven, um, you have these two images of St. Ignatius of, Anti of Antioch, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about him through these images. Right, so the first image on the left, we see him um, very often traditionally portrayed with what's called the stole. If you look at that white um, that white fabric with the, the black crosses. And this is traditional um, like vestments that show you that St. Ignatius was a bishop, right? And he was in fact the bishop of Antioch. This is why he's called Ignatius of Antioch. We see um, this imagery of grapes and vines surrounding Ignatius in this one picture um, because his theology is very Eucharistic. He has references to practices surrounding the Eucharist and the importance of the Mass for the life of the early Christians. Uh, it's embedded throughout his seven letters that we still possess. Um, and you'll look at the icon on the right. That's a um, kind of funny looking icon, um, but it's a very traditional one where you can see uh, that lions are just kind of taking a chomp out of Ignatius's shoulder. Right? Ignatius, when he is martyred, he's martyred um, by being thrown to wild beasts, right? By letting uh, wild beasts attack him, right? Uh, like the lions. Um, so that's where that image comes from. Uh, and I want to close out our time in class today with telling you about his letter to the Romans. Now remember at this point, um, we are outside of the years in which things that get written down will end up with inside, within the canon of scripture. So this is Ignatius's letter to the Romans. Remember he'd written uh, seven letters total that we still possess. This is the last one. His first six kind of deal with various pastoral and theological issues uh, in the Christian churches that he is aware of. Um, this last one is much different. Um, this one is written to Christians at Rome while Ignatius is in custody of Roman guards and he's on his way to Rome. He knows that when he arrives in Rome, he's going to be killed if he doesn't renounce his faith in Christ and offer sacrifice to the emperor and say that the emperor is God. So the focus of the letter to the Romans, this last letter that St. Ignatius of Antioch writes, is his impending martyrdom and his own spiritual preparation for his death. This is him going through the process of reckoning. He knows what's coming. He knows that he is Christ's. He is excited for the reality of heaven. And how can he spiritually prepare for what he's about to face? Um, so in his letter to the Romans, we see a couple themes pop out to us, right? He expresses his desire for unity with Christ. He knows what's coming, but he's not excited about it for the sake of death itself. Like I said, this is not some situation where someone just needs help with mental health, right? He is seeing this life as finite, as passing away, as this is the start of eternity for him. Um, and rather than experiencing major fear, although you see this kind of leak through in little small parts, you see him express desire 
for the reality of the imitatio Christi that you guys studied on Friday, right? He wants to imitate the passion of his God. He wants to think of everything that he's going through as a sharing in the suffering of Christ. And he has the hope that he will share in the joy of the resurrection by being united eternally with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, there's a lot of beautiful imagery um, throughout these. It, there's a lot of startling imagery. It's a very both and. There's very beautiful theology, but also it can really sound a little wacky in various parts. So I want you to take a look at these uh, few passages um, and then just answer the quick three questions. And that's your work for the day today. You can use the notes that you take today on your reading check tomorrow. That's it for now. Signing off for the Mission of Jesus Christ course for today. It's Mrs. Zelmer. Have a good day, everybody.